0: Hey everybody, this is Troy, one of the pastors at First Church of the Nazarene. Thank you for listening to the podcast. It is a glimpse into the life of our church. We are ordinary people being transformed into passionate followers of Jesus. And we are committed to join God in the remaking of all things. I pray that this sermon is a blessing and helps you join God today. If we can serve you in any way, we would love to... Please get a hold of us at LafayetteNaz.org. Have a great day. So stand with me, if you would, for the reading of God's Word. Revelation chapter 12, beginning with verse 7. Revelation 12, beginning with verse 7. This is the Word of the Lord. Then there was this war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but they did not prevail, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. So the great dragon was thrown down. The old snake who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now, the salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Listen, church. The accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them day and night before our God has been thrown down. And they gained the victory over him on the account of the blood of the lamb and the word of their witness Love for their own lives didn't make them afraid to die. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But oh, the horror for the earth and the sea, the devil has come down to you with great rage, for he knows that he only has a short time. This is God's word for us this morning. You may be seated. If uh, if I just did a poll, like an interactive poll this morning, and I asked everyone in this room, I, if I said, hey, can you describe in one word can you describe in one word what the job is of the devil I think most of us would say, hey, that's easy that's easy the job of the devil in one word is to tempt it's temptation and that's true, but here in Revelation chapter 12 we get a description of the devil and a definition of what the devil is doing in our lives right now. And Revelation 12 uses a word to describe the activity of the devil that isn't used in anywhere else in the entirety of the Bible. Revelation 12 says, the devil is the one who accuses. He's the accuser. So, according to the book of Revelation, Satan's primary job is isn't just temptation, although he does do that. Revelation 12 says that Satan's main job is accusation. His first job is to accuse. And you might say, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by accusation? Here's what I mean. Accusation is when the devil takes the wrong thing that you did and convinces you that is who you are. Accusation is when the devil takes the wrong thing that you did or the wrong thing that was done to you and convinces you that moment defines you, that that's who you are. Let me help you understand that. You Let me help you understand this by sharing just a little bit of a personal story. So um, I don't know if you remember, There, a, a, a several sermon series ago, um, we were teaching through the concept of living, how Christians are called to live a life that's worthy of imitation. So Paul said to to, to, to a church, hey, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. And the whole big beautiful idea is what if you and I could live a life that was so consumed with with the love of God that other people would look at the life that we live and they would say, I want to be like that, not because that person is so great, but because that person is witnessing who Jesus is, because Jesus is so great. So we're preaching through all of that. For those of you who don't know, my wife, Sherry, and I, we have four children, and they're all incredible kids. They're all wonderful, wonderful children, but all of them have been three years old. All of them have been three years old. And I don't know what, what your mileage is like, but our mileage is that three, when you're three, that's the worst. That's the worst. Everybody talks about the terrible twos. The terrible twos are kind of terrible, but threes are the worst. You know, three-nagers, you know, that's when you really kind of get headstrong as a three-year-old and you think you know what you need and you know better, but you don't really have the language to work your way through all of it yet. Three three's kind of tough. And so um, it was a Sunday and um, I, it was a Sunday, and it was a sermon where I was pretty transparent, kind of vulnerable. That's exhausting for me. I had a meeting later on that day, and it was a long meeting. And um, so I didn't get home. Um, I got here at the church at 5 o'clock in the morning, and I didn't probably get home until 4, 5 at night. And I was spent, walked in the house, and um, our, our kids were great, but we do have a 3-year-old, and... Um, and our three-year-old was having one of those days, and I was in an exhausted spot. Um, to be fully transparent here, it's a little bit, our, our, th- our three-year-old is our son. It's a little bit more difficult for, for me as a, as a man when our son is having some behavior issues than the rest of our girls. Because so, they're so cute and pretty, and you, you just kind of give them some breaks. But that boy, something happens to me. So I just preached this sermon about living a life worthy of imitation. And um, I came home, and and I wanted to be a good dad, but I was exhausted. He got to me. He got to me. And, um, and you know, I lost my composure a little bit, and I raised my voice. And, um, you know... Uh, disciplined him as best as I could, but I I raised my voice. And um, after the incident was over, and I was alone, I went into our bedroom, I don't hear audible voices, and so I don't want you to think that I'm some weirdo, like schizophrenic or whatever, but I did hear something in my heart, and this is what I heard, yeah, Troy, That's who you really are. You are the father that raises his voice at his children. And your kids are going to grow up hating God and hating the church because they see their dad preach at 1130, but they also see him raise his voice at five. Who do you think you are pretending that you are some kind of man of God? That was the accusation of the enemy. And the enemy wanted to take what I did and convince me that's who I really was. And that's not just limited to me. That's you guys. That's all of us as well. This is the mom who gives and gives and gives and gives and gives and works and works and works selflessly everything she has for her children, and then she has one, busy day and she neglects them just a little bit and you hear the voice in your heart that says, yeah, that's who you really are. You're the mom who neglects her own children. Or this is the man in the room who grew up with an explosive father and you swore you would never become like that. But then the older you get and you have one off day and you lose it and there's a voice in your heart that says to you, yeah, that's who you really are. You've always been like that. You will always be like that. That's the person that you will always be. This is the person here today who is working and working and working to change so that they can become more and more and more like Jesus, but you have a setback one day. And immediately that one time you have a setback, there's that voice. And what is that voice saying to you? That's who you really are. You are a failure. You always have been a failure. You always will be a failure. This is what the enemy wants to do. This is what he has come to do. He is the accuser of people. And he wants to take what you did and convince you that's who you really are. That is the accusation of the enemy. Now, know this. There will be times and season in your life where that voice of accusation grows louder than it normally is. The voice of accusation grows louder in your life and in my life anytime you are tempted. In, in the times of temptation, you will hear this voice that says to you, you've already messed it up. You messed up yesterday. You're going to mess it up tomorrow. So why does it even matter? Just go ahead and do it today. This is why none of us can stick to a diet. Because we messed it up yesterday. Yesterday. We're going to mess it up again tomorrow. So why not just go ahead and mess it up today? This is the scheme of the devil. Before you sin, the devil says to you, you know, if you do that, it won't hurt anything. After you sin, the devil says to you, you've already ruined everything. Before you sin, the devil says, hey, that's not going to hurt anything. There's forgiveness for you. After you sin, the devil comes to you and says, you blew it. You've already ruined it. So you hear the voice of accusation louder when you're tempted. You also hear it louder when you're maturing and growing to become more and more like Jesus because if there's anything that the enemy hates, it's when the power and the presence and the Spirit of God is awakened and enlivened in someone and they're actually starting to progress and grow in grace, and you hear that voice of accusation even more. All of us in this room are being accused daily, and the devil's desire is to convince us that that thing we did or that thing that happened to us, that's actually who we really are. And so how do we overcome all of this? And if you look at the passage of Scripture that we read this morning in Revelations chapter 12, it says, they overcame two ways. The first is by the blood of the Lamb, and the second is by the word of testimony, or by the word of their witness. And so if you are here today and you are not yet a follower of Jesus, you're, you're not sure if you want to buy into this thing, can I just say to you, can I extend to you like a really warm welcome? Welcome. We are so glad that you're here, and and I know I'm biased, but I believe that you have found exactly the right church to help you on your journey to live a life that is fully alive, the fully alive kind of life that Jesus has come to bring. You're, You're in a great place because this church is not a collection of people who think, hey, we're all a bunch of really good people. We're all a bunch of really good people and we're huddled together and we want to keep the really bad people out. That's not the DNA of this church. This church is here not because we think we're so great. We're we're here because we think we're a really forgiven bunch of people who have gathered to worship a really great Savior. So if you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you're here this morning, I want to help you understand what we're talking about what the writer of the book of Revelation is talking about when the Bible says the blood of the lamb. I want to explain what that blood actually does. Years ago, and it's too many years ago now, it's quite embarrassing. Years ago when I was in graduate school, I had a professor tell a story about two guys who went out hunting in in Oregon. And this is a true story. They're They're out there hunting, And um, they see see smoke, but it's way off in the horizon. They don't think a thing about it. They're still hunting a few hours later, and they notice that the smoke is a little bit closer to them, and they kind of make a mental note of it. A few hours later, they notice, man, that smoke is really close. And it dawns on them, it's from a forest fire. And that fire is moving faster towards them than they would be able to move to get to their vehicle. And still, they start naturally kind of freaking out. They're desolate, Oregon, and um, all by themselves, no way to communicate with anyone. One of the hunters reaches into his backpack and he grabs um, a box of matches and where they were hunting, they were in the middle of this dry, grassy field. And so he struck a match, and he bent down, and he lit the grass on fire. He walked several yards in another direction, calculated where the wind was going, struck a match, lit the grass on fire. And the other guy's like, what are you doing, man? What, are you, what, what, are, what on earth are you doing? He was like, listen, listen, listen. I know what's going on. We're going to be fine. So he said, I'm going to burn this fire. I'm going to burn this field so that when the fire reaches us, there will will be an already burned over place in the middle of this field. And so here's what happened. He was right. When the forest fire made its way to them, all that the two men had to do was stand in the already burned over place. And as long as they stood in that place, the fire passed, and they were okay. Now this is a crude analogy and a crude illustration, but the cross of Jesus functions similarly. The cross of Jesus is the already burned over place. It's the place where the power and the pain of sin has already been absorbed. And anyone who joins God there by faith, anyone who stands under the cross of Jesus in that already burned over place, there's no more power of sin. There's no more pain of evil. There's no scheme of the enemy, no accusation of the devil that can lay a finger on you because God has absorbed and defeated the power of sin and has created a place for His people to stand through the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the good news. That is the good news of the blood of the Lamb. That's what the cross is all about. That is the power of the blood of the Lamb. So how do we take that like objective reality of what God did through that blood and make it a subjective and a felt reality for our lives? How do we do that? Revelation talks about It talks about the blood of the lamb, but it also talks about the word of our testimony. And so it creates like this courtroom scene to help us understand how we take that big, beautiful, objective thing and make a subjective and felt reality. So Revelation refers to the devil as the accuser. And it says that we overcome the accuser through testimony. It's a courtroom scene. And the devil is the prosecuting attorney who's making accusations against us. And every time we sin, the devil is making this case against us. He's accusing us, prosecuting us. He's advocating for our punishment. But there's someone else in that courtroom scene who's defending us. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible is in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you don't sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Do you know what an advocate is? An advocate is a defense attorney. So here's the image that the book of Revelation is setting up in the courtroom of heaven, the devil stands up and says, Your Honor, your word has laid out your laws. And your word that has laid out your laws says that when those laws are broken, or when those laws are transgressed, that the transgression of your laws deserves a punishment, and you've said that punishment is death. Your Honor, Troy Hochstetler, has sinned. So on the basis of the law that you laid out, I demand punishment and condemnation for Troy Hochstetler. And then the book of Revelation describes something else. It's as if Jesus stands up on the other side of the courtroom and says, no. No. Now, I used to think that this is what Jesus would do in that scene. I used to think that what Jesus would do is say, listen, just give him some more grace. Give him some more mercy. Be merciful to him. He had good intentions, didn't mean to do those things. Just kind of tired. Just just be merciful. Be merciful to him. But good defense attorneys don't ask for grace. They don't ask for mercy. Good defense attorneys make a legal case. So what Scripture says that Jesus does for you every second of every day Jesus pleads an airtight case for your defense. It's as if Jesus stands up and says, yes, you're right, Troy has sinned. And yes, you're right, according to the law, Troy deserves death, but guess what? I have already absorbed the punishment for Troy's sin. And it would be unjust, Your Honor, for you to punish the same sin twice. I took the consequences. I absorbed the punishment. So I am making a plea. I am pleading my blood for Troy. I'm not asking for grace. I'm not asking for mercy. I am demanding justice for the blood that has already been shed on his behalf. And that's not just happening for me. That is happening for you every second of every day of your life, that is happening in the courtroom of heaven. So here is how we not just endure the devil. Here is how we turn the tables on the devil. That has to become our testimony. Now, you understand that a testimony is different from a biography, right? A biography is your story of your life with you at the center. A testimony is your story with Jesus at the center. And when Jesus is at the center, everything is changed. Here's how we turn the tables. When we hear the voice of the accuser telling us that what we did is who we are, you have to remember this. The devil is a very good preacher of sermons, but he only preaches the first half of sermons. He preaches our sin but he doesn't preach our forgiveness. And we have to learn how to finish the devil's own sermons. He might get the first word in, but he won't get the last. He might connect on the first jab, but he can't absorb the rest of the body. Blows. So when he begins to whisper and accuse and he says, You know what? You're so weak and you're so unimpressive. Look at you. You had all of these goals on January 1. We're well into March now. And you've forgotten all about that. You're so weak. You're so unimpressive. When the devil begins to whisper and accuse those things to us, this is what we say. We say, you know what? Yeah, I am. I am weak. And I am unimpressive. And his power is made perfect in my weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly in weakness, for when I am weak, he is strong. And when he comes and he whispers, look at what you've done. You're such a disgusting sinner. You finish the sermon, yeah, I am. But my Bible tells me that Jesus has a nickname, and his nickname is Jesus, the friend of sinners. Or when he comes and he whispers, you don't have what it takes. You finish that sermon for him. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave. That same power is in me. Or when he comes to you this week and he whispers to you, you're so flawed, you're so deeply broken. You finish that sermon for him. You're right. I'm not who I want to be. But I'm not who I once was. I am being transformed from one degree of glory to the next by the power of the Spirit that is at work in me. This is the scheme of the devil. He accuses us. He says that thing you did or that thing that happened to you, that's who you really are. But we don't have to live according to that scheme. We can live according to the word of the Lord that's spoken over us in Revelation chapter 12. All of those things have been overcome by the blood of the Lamb, which created an already burned out place for us to stand, and the word of the testimony which says none of those things are true. I want to pray a prayer over you this morning, and I'm going to invite the team to come forward and to help us to respond.